Morning, everyone. All right. So uh, I'd like to welcome all of you here. My name is Jason. I'm the Life Development Pastor, and especially if this is your first time here, I want to reiterate what Melinda said. We are so thankful that you're with us today, and I would love to meet you. Uh, love, our whole staff would love to meet you, actually. Um, so we'll line them all up. And um, <laughs> kidding. The, uh, but we would love to meet you. Thank you for spending the day with us. And so this is, you know, it's pretty cool to have like the first Sunday that actually turns cool to get to come up here and preach um, for a lot of reasons, right? Like, you know, just the weather's awesome. Fall's here. I won't sweat as much on stage. You know, there's that whole part. But uh, traditionally, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Uh, I like it. I have traditionally liked it better than Christmas. It's like it's like Christmas in the sense that you have so much cool stuff happening with families, but it's like without the just incessant pressure to be so like happy, you know, like there's all, there's all this pressure, you know, you could just be grateful, you know, you don't have to be, there's, you know, of course I don't make the turkey dinner and all that, I guess that's pressure too, but, uh, but I love, I love Thanksgiving and I, I, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. And before I say anything else, I just want to, I texted George this morning, and he is actually feeling much better. He is doing a lot better than he uh, thought he would be, and he actually might be here today. I'm not sure if he is or not. I thought I heard his voice in the hallway, but he loves you guys. He prays for you, and I just want to pass that on before I say anything else, because I don't want to forget that. But, so I love Thanksgiving. And so you might notice, I'm not one of those people who believe in putting up the Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving. You know, the, that's, there's, that's just like a holiday foul. You know, and there's some of you who love Christmas, and that's great. But, but see, we've done it here. Um, we've done it. We've got a holiday foul. But the reason we have this uh, Advent wreath is the reason we have it up on stage is, is for a purpose, and that is that we're doing something different this year. Uh, as a church, we are celebrating Advent together. And so online, we will be, we will be posting uh, family devotionals. They can be read either as a family or individually, individually. And next Sunday begins the Advent season, so we thought we'd put this up here to kind of help uh, illustrate that. And next Sunday, we will actually be handing out candles for you guys. If you want to go home and make your own Advent wreath with the candles we provide, or you may be doing that yourself. Uh, but we just wanted to at least provide that for you and to provide the devotional series for Advent beginning next Sunday. So that's why we have the holiday foul up here. So I um, want to just point that out as well. We... Um, got a two-week series going right now. David and I are, uh, I'm starting this off. Next week, David will finish it up. We're, it's, it's, it's called There Is No Them. There is no them. And uh, during this season, you know, I'm not here to talk about the election. I have no interest in that. Um, but it seems like during this season, during the election, we have become a binary people. You are either for me or you are against me. And that's kind of how we, as a culture, and I'm not, we're not all guilty of this, but it's one of the things that we as a culture, and I would say especially Christian culture, because I'm a part of that one and I can speak about that one plainly, we're, we're kind of guilty of saying, you know, it's us, and then if you're not one of us, you're one of them. And we want to talk for just a couple of weeks about how the really in most ways, there really are no them. It's mostly us. And, you know, to, to start this off, actually I'm going to jump ahead to Christmas. I said it, you know, it, it's, it's not always been my favorite holiday to celebrate. 
But it is absolutely the most mysterious, powerful holiday there is. Christmas and Easter, those two. You see, at Christmas, we have the Incarnation. And the Incarnation is a doctrinal term, it's a theological term, for God putting on flesh, for the infinite putting on the finite, for God coming to us. God, God became a man at Christmas. Not just a man, but a, a baby. And that is an unbelievable, that is a mystery. Look, we, we don't know how that happens. It's, and you know, there's something pretty cool about having a mystery in our faith that God knows how that happens, but we, we just don't, we can't. See, I can't tell you how God, Jesus, the Son of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son who had existed eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son, part of the triune God, takes on the flesh of a newborn. God as a baby. The child of a teenage girl in a poor, poor family. That's a mystery. And it, and it, it should say something to us. It should say a lot to us. But I think the first thing we need to take from that is that we need to understand that when it comes to the way that God relates to us, we begin with the fact that he came to us. Jesus came to us. If there's one thing the Old Testament proves over and over and over again, it's that we can't get to him. We can't be good enough. You give us 10 rules, we'll break every one of them. You give us a series of laws, yeah, okay, whatever. We won't even try that the first time. God, you'll be our king? Well, we really want Saul. Okay, I'm going to wipe the planet out. We're going to start over with this one family. Well, that family's messed up. The first siblings, one killed the other. If there's anything the Old Testament proves, it proves that we can't, like, if we ever get this notion that we're seeking God, we have it backwards because we don't have the ability to find him if we were seeking him in the first place. So Jesus came to us, and it's called the incarnation. It was a, fulfill a fulfillment of his love for us in that he wanted to be with us. He wanted to have a relationship with us. And so he came in flesh, but also he came to provide atonement for us because it was going to take a man to pay the penalty for men's sins. Jesus came to us. See, showing up makes a difference. I was in sales for a while, a marginal salesperson, but uh, one thing that I know for a fact is that you're much more likely to be a successful salesperson if you go to your clients in person. 
Something, it just communicates value. You can read the room better. It just means something for you to show up. Showing up counts. A number of years ago, like five, I guess, my wife turned 21. Um, and I had already decided that I really, I mean, I had the biggest crush on her. I couldn't help it. And that night, I was a part of a, a, a group of guys going through a discipleship program at a church. We were always busy, and this one night we were getting ready for a lock-in, which I hope we never do lock-ins here, by the way. They're just, it's rough. So we were getting ready for this lock-in, and we had to go pick up vans, and we were getting all this kind of stuff. And it was her 21st birthday, and they were, she was going with a group of her friends to a, a, a Dave & Buster's, back when Dave & Buster's was, you know, when we didn't have video games at home that were just as good. Um, but it was a really cool thing, and I'm not sure I was even invited. Um, but that night, I couldn't go even if I was invited. And so but I decided that, look, I've got to try this thing. And I've got, I mean, I, it, showing up matters, right? And so I forced all the other guys that I was working with, no, I'm sorry, we're going to go by Dave & Buster's. And so we, we go rolling into Dave & Buster's in the church vans uh, because we're getting ready. And I, I get out, and I go in, and I find her. And, I mean, she looked, she looked so beautiful there. And I just... And it was, and you know, I showed up, and uh, it worked. Seemed seemed to be an important thing. She showed up later at my house, like later that night, to say thanks for showing up. So I mean, showing up matters, and it's not just for stuff like this. In fact, showing up matters more when difficult things happen. If you've ever had a death in your family, it's at those moments, or if you have someone in the hospital, or if you were in the hospital. The fact that someone would show up communicates amazing love. It communicates their love. More than any words, more than any gifts, that someone would show up. And Jesus showed up. Jesus came to us. How? Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind amongst yourselves. Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. For just a moment, consider what that time was like for Jesus. Again, he is the preexistent God, part of the triune God. And he, he leaves Eternity and that existence, and he becomes a baby who can't even care for himself. And he's born and he's put in an animal's food trough. We love the Christmas story because it's so, we've made it very beautiful, and it is beautiful, but it, we have kind of whitewashed it a little bit. That was a barn. You know, and it was a food trough. I guess they cleaned it out. 
I mean, and, and think for a moment. So Jesus, this term in theology is called the kenosis, the emptying out. And it's part, of this, it's part of this mystery of the incarnation, of that for Jesus to come to us, he, had, he emptied himself out. And we're not exactly sure what that means, because what we, what we know is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And yet, he still emptied himself. And we can see how that would be the case, because he goes from being the infinite God, to being a baby. And it is a mystery. And, and so, not think for a moment just that that moment alone, what that was like for him. But not just that moment. Consider the world that he was born into and the poverty he was born into. The pain that he would suffer. Jesus emptied himself. Again, it's called the kenosis. And beyond that, he did this for people who were his enemies. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Again, it's the, whole, the whole thing is turned around for, for most of us. That we, it's not so much that we seek God or we please God. It's that God comes to us and he finds us. And in the incarnation, Jesus finds us. He comes to us to find us. You may be here today considering a relationship with God. And you're weighing your options. You're maybe thinking through your life. And maybe something going through your mind would be that, how could God accept someone like you? It's a common way that people feel. You don't exactly know what I've done type of feeling. And let me just be real clear. If you are worried about God rejecting you, he's already been looking for you. He will not reject you. He won't. Why would Jesus have done all of this to just set you up for rejection? He, he became a baby. He lived his life. And he died. And then he resurrected to provide a way for you to be close to God, for you to have a relationship with God. He will not reject you. His sacrifice is sufficient for whatever you've done. You can't surprise him. He already knows you. He's already approached you. But if you're like me, at an early age I started uh, my relationship with God. And... I grew up in a pretty uh, legalistic environment, and somewhere along the way, I thought that there was this thing that applied to me as a believer that, see, there was this other standard for me because I was a believer, because I chose to follow Jesus. I had this, you know, that, all that grace and stuff, that's, that's for other people. See, I, I know better. Christians, we should know better than to do those things. 
right? And, you know, let's just take a look at Peter here. See, Jesus, the, the night of Jesus' death, he was sitting with his disciples, and he said, look, something's going to happen tonight. All of you are going to fall away from me tonight. And Peter says to him, no, 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 uh-uh, I won't. That all, all may fall away from you, Lord, but I will not fall away from you. And, Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, here's the deal. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times, okay? And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, not that. I would die first. Now, I'm making, I'm not, I shouldn't be making fun of him because he was, you know, he is the apostle Peter, you know, and he eventually did die for his faith. And I bet he was totally sincere when he said that, just like I've been sincere before. But when we look at what happened, in Matthew 26, Jesus was before Caiaphas and the council. The beating was beginning. And a girl came up to Peter and said, hey, weren't you with him? Peter said, nope. And then later that night, another girl came, a servant came and said, weren't you with the Galilean? And he said, nope. And then later, there were a group of bystanders and they said, hey, you were with him, right? And he said, nope. And he started cussing. And then you guys probably know the story. It's really written beautifully in the New Testament. At that moment, Peter hears what? The rooster. And the Bible says that he went out and he wept bitterly. I have a friend who, um, her whole life changed in an instant. She was in a hurry one day, and uh, she was going to the airport, and she's in a massive hurry to make her plane, and uh, she forgot about the gun that was in her purse. And so she ran, she, you know, she ran through the uh, airport security, she put the thing on the, the, uh, the conveyor belt, and her whole life changed in an instant. Because, you know, you really can't take a gun through airport security anymore. Everything changed. And it's like that when she was telling me about it, it was like this moment in time. You know, it's, and we've all had that experience, right, where it's like you, you, it's like the no, you know, you're reaching out for the thing that you just let go of. And it's like you just, you want that last five seconds back and everything would be different. And that's, in a way, that's like what happens with Peter here. And, and you might relate to it. Because, you know, Peter's saying, no way, Jesus, I'm never going to turn away from you. I'll never abandon you. And he's, he's abandoned Jesus three times, and he hears the rooster crow, and everything in his world changes. He is not the person he thought he was. It's become painfully clear. And so we have similar things like this happen. When we... When we say the thing in anger that cannot be unsaid. Or maybe we become involved in an illicit relationship 
And we cross a line that cannot be uncrossed. Or maybe it's a habit. And even though you're a follower of Jesus, this habit, you've decided there's no way you're giving into it again. And then you hear the rooster crowing. And you've done it again. See, we can relate to Peter. I can. And the truth is, the first denial of Peter's was no worse than the last. The last one was just the one he noticed because Jesus said, hey, the rooster's going to crow. And so, our stories may not be this dramatic, but every time we deny Jesus and we claim to be followers of Jesus, something dies. I mean, so what did Jesus do with Peter? I mean, this is seriously in Scripture. You know, I, I've made lots of mistakes. But my, you know, my worst mistake in life was not recorded in Scripture for the world to read forever. This is an epic fail. This is like really, really a big, big failure. Because Peter was the guy that Jesus had gone to and said, Peter, you are gonna, you're the rock. And I'm on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And here's Peter denying Jesus three times at the worst possible moment in Jesus' life. That's an epic fail. So what does Jesus do with Peter? In John 21, the disciples are hanging out, and uh, they decide that, you know, Peter says, you know, hey, let's go fishing. So he was a, pe- a fisherman before, and so they went fishing. And while they're fishing... There's this guy shows up on the, the shore, and, you know, they, they can see him, and John is out there in the boat with, with Peter, and, uh, and the guy on the shore says, hey, are you catching any fish? And they're like, no. And the guy says, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And I'm thinking, <laughs> if I'm fishing, I'm like, why is this guy bossing us around? Like, what, how's that supposed to make any difference? So, but they do. And when they do that, the, the nets, you guys know the story, the nets fill up. I mean, they have so many fish, they can't pull them in. And that's when John, who wrote the book of John, uh, says, hey, Peter, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps up, strips himself, and dives in the water to swim to shore. Because here's Jesus and Peter is going, he, here's Jesus. And so he goes and he swims to shore with Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus found Peter after Peter's epic fail. Jesus found Peter. Peter responded. In the same way, Jesus, if you have been a follower of Christ and you find yourself distant from God, if you find yourself having made massive mistakes, Jesus Jesus is seeking you out right now. See, Jesus seeks us out, especially when you fail. He seeks you constantly. He's looking for you. We don't have to go searching for him. He has, he's right here. 
and he's waiting for you on the shore. This is really important, maybe the most important thing I'm going to say all morning. Uh, Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those of you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read it again. There is no condemnation for those of you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say it again. There is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this is like for real, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, his grace has covered you, and there is no condemnation waiting for you. It is hard to believe, especially if you've been taught that you should know better. But the scripture is very plain on this, that if you have trusted in Jesus, there is no condemnation waiting for you. No condemnation. And when I first began to grasp this, this kind of wrecked my faith. Because a major motivator for me in my faith was guilt and fear. You know, I thought that God was sitting up there just waiting to zap me. I thought God was going to get his feelings hurt because I didn't follow through with my devotional commitment or whatever it was that I was following through with. Like, and I began to understand this, this truth. And it's, it's our faith, guys, our faith is, is grace. It's based in grace. We have a relationship with God through grace, because of grace, through faith specifically. But it's grace-oriented. Karma doesn't exist. We don't like karma. Karma is terrible. If we believed in justice and karma, well, that's, the Bible speaks to that. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. If you want karma, good luck. What we have to have, what God, the only way we have a relationship with God is because of his grace for us. And so when we trust in him, he forgives us completely, without stipulation. And the grace that brings us to God in the first place is the same grace that sustains us throughout our relationship, relationship with God. He doesn't change the rules on us. He still has grace for you. There is no condemnation for you when you fail. And that's like I said, that kind of wrecked my faith. Because I'm like, well, what's my motivation then? And as I began studying this as I was a, I was a young man, uh, in Romans, there's a term, in Romans 3.25, it says, God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. And again, we're using a lot of theological terms, but I think they're important. Jesus was the propitiation for our sin. Well, I didn't know what that meant. It's not a word that I use every day, and you know. And so I began to study it, and what the whole concept of what Jesus did for us on the cross was that God, in his righteousness, had wrath stored up for mankind. Not just for mankind, but for me, because I was a sinner. I am a sinner. And He's got wrath stored up because he is just and good and right. And when Jesus died on the cross, all of God's wrath was satisfied. And he's no longer angry 
at us. If you have trusted in Jesus, God is no longer angry at you. There is no condemnation for you. None. And when I began to understand this, like I said, my motivation went away and I actually wound up spending, <laughs> it messed me up so much that I took my Bible out into a field um, and I sat down in the field. This is a true story. This is nice and uh, uh, dramatic, you know, as a young man. But I sat down in the field and I said, God, I'm not going to leave this field. I was very committed until I know why I should follow you. That was my question. Because all my motivation was gone. You're not mad at me anymore. I'm not hurt your feelings. All that language is just gone. And, uh, you know, I'm glad God didn't cash in on that um, because I would have been sitting there, you know, I, I didn't want to have to fail there also. But, you know, the thing is that we should follow God. We should do what God wants us to do because we love him and because we can. And it's that simple. God has freed us from sin, so why should we wallow in it? God has freed us from death, so why would we be a culture of death? Like, God has freed us from condemnation. Why would we live like we're condemned? So this is how Jesus handled Peter. And so, if you find yourself as a believer feeling distant from God, allow yourself the freedom to come back to him. He's not mad at you. All of that was poured out on Jesus. You can come back to him. And maybe a good analogy here, it, it breaks down at some point, but you know, when you've got good friends that you've been close to a long time and something kind of happens that gets you kind of crossways, you know, you don't always have to like talk it all out before you see one another again. In fact, sometimes the best thing to do when you're crossways with someone that you love and this with someone that loves you, sometimes the best thing to do is to just get together again and spend time together. I had a friend that we got crossways with one another and, um, and over the course of a year we wound up getting kind of back in the same social circles and then it was one of those deals where we found ourselves spending time together working on a project. And in the midst of that project it became apparent why we were friends in the first place. And it was one of those deals, and I don't know, you know, this is not a man-woman thing, so it's not all men are not wired this way and not all women are wired the other way, but for us, it was one of those deals where, you know, do we, you know, do we need to talk about what happened? No, nah, we're, we're good. You sure we're good? Yeah, we're good. And just move on. Sometimes you do have to talk about stuff, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can just get back together and pick up where you left off. In fact, from that moment on, I, I, I adopted what I call the no guilt clause in most of my friendships. That if someone doesn't, you know, if someone doesn't return my phone call or if someone doesn't, you know, I don't see someone in a long time, I don't need that person to apologize to me for having not spoken with me in a while. 
Just, I don't want to hear it. We're good. Let's just get back to being what we are, which is friends. And guys, I want to encourage you that if you feel distant from God, don't feel like you have to have a three-hour marathon confession session before you can pray. Don't feel like you have to have fasting and tears in order to venture back into a relationship with God, into an active relationship with God. Just, just engage him again, wherever you are. It's like old friends. You can, and, and you may need to talk about it. But don't let the fear of that conversation keep you from at least talking to him in the first place. So, you know, what now? I mean, Peter, Peter shows us. And see, Peter goes through this process. That there's this, this thing that happens with Peter that's really beautiful because it's not just that Jesus accepts Peter back. He restores Peter. And this is uh, John chapter 21, verse 15. Peter had uh, swam up to shore, and Jesus had breakfast going. And uh, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's pointing to the, the men. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said back, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because everything he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said back, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't just accept Peter. He restores him. And the, the three denials here, or the three professions of faith or professions of love here match just with the three denials. And if restor restoration is a process, and it takes time. And in fact, this is something that I, um, that we, something that's, that's not entirely clear, but this is probably not the first time that Jesus and Peter had interacted since the resurrection. I'd grown up thinking that always, that this was the first time Jesus talked to Peter. But when you read in Corinthians, and in Luke, and even in John itself, where it says Jesus again appeared to the disciples. Jesus had appeared to the disciples several times. And so, it, the Bible actually says in a couple places that Jesus appeared to Peter first, before he appeared to anyone else. So, truth is that restoration takes time, and it takes a process. And I just want to encourage you that if you have found yourself distant from God, just come back. He's waiting on you. He is not going to deny you. He wants a relationship with you. And so what now? Well, what do we do? How do we respond? Gratefulness. Be grateful. The fact that Jesus came to us first, the fact that Jesus still comes to you now, be grateful. It is the week of Thanksgiving. And I want to challenge you to do exactly what Belinda said earlier. I want to challenge you to take the time and actually begin listing out the things in your life that you should be grateful for. And at the top of that list, you should be grateful for the incarnation. 
there's always something to be grateful for. And if you focus on gratitude, you'll find a lot more joy in life, a ton more. Practice that gratefulness daily. I want to encourage you to do that this week for Thanksgiving. When we practice gratefulness, we don't miss the good things that are in our lives by always looking ahead to the things that we want or the things that we wish were different. So make that list. But secondly, because Jesus came to us, because even still, if you're a follower, he still comes to you, because he's done that first, go serve and love. Go serve and love. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we read this earlier. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, just like Jesus did it, do that. Jesus came to us. Jesus entered into a world of sinners. He loves, he serves, and we should follow suit. We should live the same life. In the same way that he emptied himself, we are to empty ourselves and love people just as they are. There really can be no them. You know, I talked about the. Um, I talked about how the uh, this season has shown us to be very binary in nature, the us versus them. And when we protect our own interests so deeply, how can we do this? When we protect our interests so deeply that the people who do not mirror our interests are considered to be them, how can we live this way? How can we go serve and love when we're just protecting ourselves? You see, hospitality is evangelism. The way you treat people is evangelism. Yes, there are words involved, but your words are not as important as what you do. The way you treat the outsider the way you treat the person who thinks differently than you do, the way you treat the person that you perceive is trying to take from you, the way that you treat people who are different than you, that is evangelism. And since we know that Jesus came to us from heaven, he entered into our world at great personal expense, and we know that he comes to us still, how can we not... Do the same for others and open our hearts and open our minds and open our lives to people who are different than we are. We should go serve and love the way that Jesus did. This is a season of change at LifePoint. And we are encouraging and embracing this call to love people and to love our communities and the reason we do that is because of the incarnation because Jesus does it first and if we want to be like him 
we will do the same. So I want to encourage you. Open your hearts, open your homes, open your friendships, go serve and love, especially the people who are broken, especially the people who think differently than you do, because Jesus did it first. So Jesus came to us in the flesh, the incarnation. Jesus pursues us even when we fail him. No condemnation. We should be grateful for that. And then finally, we should do the same for others. So I'm going to pray for us. And ushers, if you guys would get ready, we're going to go ahead and do our offering now. During the, I'm going to pray for the offering. So um, I'm going to pray for us. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is I'm going to encourage you to wherever you are, just re-engage God. Just come back to him like that old friend. If you have never begun a relationship with God, I would love to talk with you in the back after the service. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to come here in the first place. But thank you for sending him to die for us as well to provide our atonement. Father, I pray that we would love people the way that you do. God, I pray if there's someone here who's been away from you for a long time, I pray, God, that they would just turn back to you. We know that you would not reject us. Father, we pray for our offering. Thank you, Lord, that we get to participate with you as you change the world. I pray that we would be faithful to do our part. I pray that you bless our offering and bless our time here. Lord, bless us as we go through Thanksgiving week. Thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.